1: As a plant-based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Dea, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Dea Oat Cream Blend. Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of terrorism and violence against children that some people may find upsetting. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. A voice cried out, hit the floor.
0: 14-year-old Carolyn Maul did as she was told and dropped to the church sanctuary floor. The colored light from the stained glass window bounced off the tiles next to her.
1: She'd been on her way to the office to drop off Sunday school reports, which she still clutched tightly in her hand. She waited quietly, waiting for the signal it was safe to move.
0: And then the floor pounded with distant footsteps. Carolyn rushed to the doorway and looked outside. It was utter chaos crowds of people crying, bleeding, searching for their loved ones. Carolyn looked up at the blown-out stained glass window shining down on the sanctuary where Jesus' face had been just moments before.
1: A bomb had gone off at the 16th Street Baptist Church, and Carolyn had just barely survived.
0: Welcome to Survival, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Irma Blanco.
1: And I'm Tim Johnson. Every Monday, we'll take you inside incredible true stories of life or death situations. This is our first of two episodes on Carolyn Maul, a 14-year-old civil rights activist whose church was bombed by the KKK in 1963.
0: This week, we'll discuss the events leading up to the attack on the church, followed by a breakdown of the ideal tactics to employ in the event of a terror attack. Finally, we'll see Carolyn's initial decision-making in the wake of the explosion.
1: Next week, we'll learn who survived the attack and follow their recovery, as well as all of Birmingham's. Is modern-day America a safer place, or is this kind of violence still common? In the 1960s, the 16th Street Baptist Church was more than a religious space. It was the center of the black community in Birmingham, Alabama. It was the first black church built in the heavily segregated city back in 1911. This made it a hotspot for civil rights activists, including Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In May
0: 1963... The Southern Christian Leadership Conference met at the 16th Street Baptist Church to organize an effort called the Children's Crusade. After Dr. King was jailed in Birmingham the previous month, few adults were willing to risk arrest, but the community's children and teens were undaunted.
1: The SCLC recruited student leaders from the local high school who recruited their fellow students all the way down to the first grade. The plan was to stage a mass walkout during the school day and march downtown to meet with the mayor, demanding integration.
0: On the morning of May 2nd, over a thousand students walked out from their morning classes and congregated in the streets. The principal of Parker High School tried to lock the gates to keep the students inside, but they were able to slip out of the classroom windows and squeeze through the chain link fences.
1: Among those students was 14-year-old Carolyn Mall. Together with hundreds of her classmates, she marched to the rallying point at the 16th Street Baptist Church, where they'd organized their ranks before continuing downtown.
0: The students laughed and sang as they took control of the streets. The sheer number of demonstrators was dumbfounding, even to the adult leaders who had organized the protest. Carolyn and her friends chanted and sang, hopeful that their plea for equality would be
1: heard. But when the students reached the 16th Street Baptist Church, they were met by firefighters, police officers, and attack dogs straining against their leashes. An officer shouted through a megaphone, Go home! He gave them a two-minute warning before they turned on the fire hoses.
0: The children didn't listen. They drowned the officer out by singing and clapping even louder. When the two minutes were up, the firefighters turned on their high pressure water hoses. Carolyn was hit with a blast of water so powerful, it tore a chunk of hair off of her head. She ran through the crowd and into the church. It was quiet within the brick walls, a safe refuge from the chaos outside.
1: That day, 959 children were arrested, and countless people were injured. Over the coming days, the demonstrations escalated into riots. Over 2,500 people were arrested, buildings were burned, several people were stabbed, and two bombs were set off, targeting Martin Luther King and his family. On May 13th, 3,000 federal troops were deployed to restore the peace. And when the dust settled, the Birmingham government agreed to drop most of the city's segregation ordinances.
0: The demonstrations, which became known as the Birmingham Campaign, were a turning point in the struggle for equality. But the fight wasn't anywhere near over. Four months later, 14-year-old Carolyn Mall found herself at the center of another violent moment in Birmingham's history. On Sunday, September 15th, 1963, Carolyn woke up and looked out her bedroom window. It was a cool, overcast morning. Carolyn put on her best white dress and got ready for church. It was a big day, Youth Sunday.
1: It was the first in what Reverend John H. Cross hoped would be a monthly event. The children and teenagers at the 16th Street Baptist Church would take over the adults' jobs for a day leading the service and Sunday school classes. Carolyn had already been helping out as the Sunday school secretary since she was in the seventh grade. She was excited to take on even more responsibility.
0: But before she could leave, she had to help her little sister, Agnes, comb her hair. Agnes usually cooperated, but today she refused to sit still. Carolyn glanced at the clock. It was almost time for Sunday school. She couldn't be late,
1: not today. In While the World Watched, Carolyn recounts her mother saying, quote, you go on to church, Agnes can stay with me, end quote. She tossed the car keys to Carolyn's older brother, Chester.
0: Chester had just gotten his driver's license and he eagerly agreed to take the car for a spin. He hopped into the driver's seat of the royal blue Chevy Impala, his three younger siblings following close behind. Carolyn, 13-year-old Wendell,
1: and 12-year-old Kirk. The 16th Street Baptist Church is a tall Romanesque brick structure on the corner of 16th Street and 6th Avenue North. At street level, doors lead into the bottom floor where classrooms and meeting spaces are located. A flight of concrete stairs lead to the main sanctuary on the second level.
0: When the malls pulled up to the church, Carolyn walked her brothers into the Sunday school room downstairs where class had already started. Then she skipped up the steps to the office on the second floor. Carolyn said good morning to Mabel Shorter, who was filling in for a church secretary. Shorter was flustered by the ringing phone. Mrs. Shorter said that the phones had been ringing all morning, with anonymous calls threatening to bomb the church. Mrs. Shorter thought they might just be pranksters, but it was hard to be sure.
1: The Ku Klux Klan had a large presence in Birmingham, and bombings took place so frequently that the city had earned the nickname Bombingham. In the past 11 days alone, there had been two bombings in town. The 16th Street Church had been receiving threatening calls all week, and Reverend Cross had already canceled some of their scheduled events to be on the safe side.
0: But the church was still standing, So, Carolyn brushed the calls off as pranks. Mrs. Shorter was known to be a worrywart. At about 10.20, Carolyn went back downstairs to collect the Sunday School record books. The basement was filled with dozens of students getting ready for the service at 11. A group of boys lingered near the stairwell, arguing about the upcoming football season. Carolyn ducked into the women's restroom, where she found her friends changing into their white lace choir dresses.
1: Carolyn's best friend, 14-year-old Cynthia Wesley, was adjusting her handmade dress at the mirror. Cynthia was the daughter of two prim and proper elementary school principals. Her mother had been nagging her all morning because her slip hung a bit lower than the hem of her skirt.
0: Next to Cynthia was Carol Robertson, the class overachiever. She'd been selected to host the Youth Sunday Program, and she was anxious to get it over with so she could relax.
1: 14-year-old Addie Mae Collins was fixing her hair at the mirror. Addie and her sisters had gotten into an impromptu football match on the walk to church that morning, using her purse as the ball, so she needed to do some serious primping before the service started.
0: 11-year-old Denise McNair was at the mirror as well. Even though she was a few years younger than the other girls, they got along well. An only child, Denise was always well-dressed and always smiling, showing off the gap between her two front teeth.
1: Addie's 12-year-old sister, Sarah, was in one of the stalls behind them. Carolyn said a quick hello, but she didn't have time to stay and chat. She only had 10 minutes to take the Sunday school reports back to the office and write up a summary to read before the 11 o'clock service.
0: Soon after Carolyn left, the restroom door opened again. It was 15-year-old Bernadine Matthews, who'd been sent to tell the girls to hurry up and get back to class. Cynthia told her she needed a few more minutes to fix her hair, then they'd be right out.
1: Bernadine replied, Cynthia, Children who don't obey the Lord only live half as long.
0: Meanwhile, Carolyn bolted up the stairs, rushing to the sanctuary where the adult Sunday school classes met. As she passed the office, she heard the phone ringing. Mrs. Shorter was nowhere to be found, so Carolyn stepped inside and answered it. Before she could catch her breath and say hello, A voice on the other end simply said, Three minutes.
1: Another prankster, Carolyn thought. She hurried to the sanctuary. The large antique clock on the wall said it was 10.22 a.m., right in the middle of the lull between Sunday school classes and the regular service. It was quiet, mostly empty, except Reverend Cross, who was praying in a pew.
0: Carolyn slowed down as she walked through the rows of wooden pews. The sanctuary felt like home to her. She'd played all over the building as a little girl, memorized all the secret nooks and crannies. She gazed up at the stained glass window behind the altar, a tall portrait of Jesus' face.
1: Carolyn thought back on her baptism two years earlier. Reverend Cross had dipped her under the warm water of the baptismal font, and when she opened her eyes, that same image of Jesus was staring right back at her. She later recalled, quote, I saw in his face a safety and protection beyond anything I could imagine in my small world.
0: Carolyn stopped for a moment, feeling that same peace wash over her. It felt as if time was standing still.
1: And then the clock on the wall stopped ticking forever.
0: Coming up, a sudden act of violence rocks the 16th Street Baptist Church. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular.
1: Huh. How so? Looks pretty rectangular to me.
0: It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and relove our products, like buying back your IKEA items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable
1: future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Now, back to the story.
0: 1960s Alabama was a place of sudden violence, unlike anything the United States had seen in the 20th century. Yes, class and race tensions had led to violence in previous decades. But now, things were reaching a fever pitch. Not since the time of slavery had things been so dangerous for the Black people of Alabama.
1: In September 1963, the bombing at the 16th Street Baptist Church was actually the 21st such incident in eight years. Impossibly, no charges had been brought in any of these previous attacks.
0: This was more than systematic racial bias in the criminal justice system. This was terrorism that law enforcement was turning a blind eye to. Birmingham Police Commissioner Eugene Connor was once quoted as saying, Damn the law. Down here, we make our own law. But that attitude, as shocking as it may be to a modern audience, was nothing new to the black population of Birmingham and of the United States at large. The city was, as the New York Times called it, a community of fear.
1: Black students who dared to sit at lunch counters were jailed for trespassing. Arrests of black citizens for attempting to exercise their basic rights were common. Many of those arrested were community religious leaders.
0: White pro-segregation officials claim they were simply enforcing the law, but civil rights leaders believe that such laws were unconstitutional. And of course they were. According to the constitution, Basic liberties are granted by God, not the law, and therefore, a law cannot take them away.
1: For the majority of United States history, black people were enslaved, persecuted, or otherwise marginalized. And one of the chief proponents of that cause, if not the chief proponent, was the Ku Klux Klan.
0: Though the Klan had its roots in the Confederacy, the modern version wasn't nearly as powerful, requiring that it be less public with its violence and more subtle in its methods. Nevertheless, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, the reinvigorated 1950s and 1960s version of the Klan was responsible for nearly 70 bombings in Alabama and Georgia, the arson of 30 black churches in Mississippi, and 10 racial killings in Alabama.
1: After nearly disappearing in the Depression and war years, Klan membership was up after tensions had blossomed over the issue of segregation in the United States. In 1954, the landmark Brown v. Board of Education ruling declared that racially segregated schools were unconstitutional. The outrage in certain Southern communities was so intense that the National Guard had to protect some black students on their way to school.
0: This opposition to integration was given support by the massive resistance movement created by Virginia Senator Harry F. Byrd Sr. who attempted to close integrated schools and actually offer incentives to students who opposed integration.
1: Though this point of view would meet with continued legal defeat in the Supreme Court and public disavowment from presidents like Eisenhower and Kennedy, it gave Klan members hope that their actions would lead to the defeat of the Civil Rights Movement.
0: Leaders like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., James L. Farmer Jr., and Ella Baker made sure that didn't happen, organizing protests of all kinds. Marches, sit-ins, and freedom rides caused various bastions of segregation to fall like dominoes. But even with these various successes, there was always the fear of reprisals from the Klan.
1: Claudette Colvin, a 15-year-old girl who in 1955 refused to give up her seat on the bus nearly a year before Rosa Parks famously did the same, recalled in a 2015 interview that after her protest, her father stayed up with a shotgun on his lap for fear of an assault from the KKK.
0: And for every civil rights leader, there seemed to be a hairy bird type in the government working against the interest of black people. The governor of Alabama, George Wallace, famously said at his 1963 inauguration, quote, segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, end quote. It was an especially dangerous time to be black in that state.
1: Attacks by the Ku Klux Klan would continue throughout the 1960s, sometimes going uninvestigated by police. And the black population of Birmingham was largely unequipped to know how to handle such attacks. They weren't soldiers, they were normal people.
0: With the hindsight provided to us in the modern era, it's possible to discuss certain tactics that may have aided in the survival of the black population of Birmingham during this violent time. The modern world at large has, unfortunately, become all too acquainted with these kinds of sudden horrific attacks on civilian population centers.
1: The United Kingdom, for example, has experienced multiple attacks from both Islamic extremists and right-wing hate groups in recent years. As a result, their National Counterterrorism Security Office, or NACTSO, has issued guidelines for surviving a violent terror attack.
0: Perhaps the most obvious and important guideline is to flee the scene of the attack as quickly and safely as possible. Fear is paralyzing. Conversely, Courage leads us to want to try to find and aid other survivors, but at the onset of violence, too many factors are unknown.
1: What may have seemed like a single explosion could have been just the first in a volley of detonations. Alternatively, armed militants might follow, sweeping the premises with firearms.
0: Finally, structural damage is always a factor to keep in mind. Like the infamous collapse of the Twin Towers in 2001, an initial blast may lead to a far greater, far deadlier avalanche of concrete, steel, and wood.
1: Carolyn Mall's safest course of action would have been to flee the church building. The bomb that was about to detonate was bad enough. But she had no way to know if it was the first of many or if armed clan members might storm the building afterwards. And she had no way of knowing if the tiny church would remain standing.
0: But even so, it's not always possible to safely flee the scene of a terror attack. The initial blast may have caused severe injury or blocked escape routes. In that case, the United Kingdom National Police Chiefs Council, or NPCC, recommends simply hiding as an alternative, though choosing a secure hiding spot is key.
1: As the NACTSO guidelines note, bullets and explosions can pierce metal and wood with ease. A brick, concrete, or reinforced wall provides ideal shelter. And of course, a locked door barricaded with heavy objects can save lives.
0: In the United States, the Obama White House released similar guidelines in 2013 aimed at protecting children in schools after recent tragedies resulting from severe weather and gun violence. Indeed, schools in the U.S. have been conducting evacuation and lockdown drills for years, spurred on most prominently by the 1999 Columbine High School massacre.
1: But again... 1999 was a long ways in the future from 1963. Carolyn and her friends had no such training, no such resources.
0: Someone as young as Carolyn couldn't have possibly known what the three minutes phone call she received was referring to. If the caller on the other end thought this would keep the bomb from killing anyone, they were sorely mistaken.
1: Again, in the modern era, The United States Department of Homeland Security, or DHS, has been forced to create very specific guidelines as to how to act in such a situation. Guidelines that, of course, didn't exist for Carolyn.
0: The primary recommendation when receiving what amounts to a bomb threat over the phone is to attempt to keep the caller on the line. The hope is that law enforcement will thus be able to identify or trace the caller, Though in Carolyn's case, law enforcement was not even on her side.
1: The DHS guidelines suggest that keeping the caller on the line and trying to get information out of them can aid in the removal or dismantling of the bomb. Questions such as what kind of bomb is it? What does it look like? Who are you and why did you place the bomb are all almost humorously obvious, but any information gleaned can lead to lives saved
0: and can lead the decision-makers, whether that be law enforcement, business management, or in the case of 16th Baptist, the Reverend, to make the call as to whether an evacuation is necessary. And of course, given the social climate, the Reverend or other adults at the church would have almost certainly ordered an evacuation if they had been aware
1: of the three minutes call. It's especially frightening then that the bombers felt a seconds long warning over the phone with a child would have been enough to lead the church to evacuate. Clearly, they had no real concerns over whether the bomb killed anyone or not.
0: Plain and simple. This was the worst possible situation from a terror prevention standpoint. The potential victims were mostly children. They wouldn't know that the safest course of action was to run from the building. They wouldn't know how to find shelter if that wasn't possible.
1: The only hope for these young girls was that their instincts would lead them to safety. As former director of the FBI, James Comey said after the 2015 San Bernardino shootings, Do not let fear become disabling.
0: Some of the girls wouldn't even have that chance.
1: Next, we'll learn what happened to the six girls at the 16th Street Baptist Church after the bomb went off.
0: Now, back to the story.
1: At 10.22 a.m. on September 15th, 1963, A blast rattled the brick walls of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. 14-year-old Carolyn Maul was caught inside the church sanctuary when the attack happened. The entire church building rattled and shook. Glass shattered from every direction and landed on either side of Carolyn.
0: The sound was muffled, not at all loud like the bombs Carolyn had heard before on the streets of Birmingham. Because she didn't recognize the sound, Carolyn wasn't sure what it was. She thought it could have been thunder or lightning. Only nature could shake the whole world like that, right?
1: Then a voice called out, saying, hit the floor.
0: Carolyn dropped to the ground. She hadn't had a chance to deliver the Sunday school reports yet, and so she clutched them tightly.
1: Oddly enough, all was silent in the sanctuary
0: but the same could not be said of the girls' restroom in the church basement.
1: It was pitch black. A young girl's voice cried out, screaming, Addie, Addie? When the bomb exploded, Addie,
0: Denise, Carol, and Cynthia were still in the women's restroom, along with Addie's 12-year-old sister, Sarah, who had been in a stall while the other girls were primping at the mirror. The last thing Denise could remember was walking over to Addie to ask for help fixing the sash on her dress. Suddenly, the four girls standing at the mirror were thrown to the ground by the blast. The walls of the bathroom came caving in and crumbled onto them.
1: A voice cried out, someone bombed the 16th Street church.
0: Glass shattered and flew across the room. Big pieces landed in Sarah's eyes, at least temporarily blinding her. She cried out in pain for her sister, but she heard nothing in response. Next, she tried standing up, but she was covered in debris. Without her sight and without her sister or friends to guide her, she sat among the wreckage in silence. Any attempt to evacuate wasn't possible for her. She was stuck and unable to see. Her confusion made everything that much more frightening, that much more painful what had happened. One minute, they were all laughing and talking and getting ready like usual, and then just pain and darkness.
1: She continued calling out, Addie, Addie, but again, there was no response. All she could do was pray for her friends while she waited for rescue.
0: Meanwhile, in the sanctuary of the church, Carolyn still lay flat amongst the shattered glass, waiting for the signal that it was safe to move. She counted the seconds while she waited.
1: As discussed, this was perhaps not the safest course of action. Additional bombs may have been set to go off, or the church's collapse may have been imminent. And who knew if armed clansmen could be approaching?
0: Finally, Carolyn's fear gave way to her desire to live, to her desire to see who else had lived. Looking up, she saw that she was still alone in the sanctuary. Folks must have been outside. Carolyn raced to the door and looked onto the street. She saw complete chaos. Dozens of wounded people rushed outside the church. They stood on the lawn, searching for their loved ones. There were tears and blood everywhere.
1: Reverend John Cross had planned a sermon for that day. Its title was still posted on the board outside the church, A Love That Forgives. It was to be based on Luke twenty-three, twenty-four, which recounts Jesus' trial and crucifixion.
0: As people cried outside, Father Cross used a bullhorn to read from his sermon. He shouted out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But Carolyn knew that whoever had done this knew exactly what they were doing. They had called beforehand. She bitterly recalled now that she had a chance to warn everyone. It was the same violence she had seen in her city so many times before in her young life. The KKK had planted a bomb in her church.
1: The 16th Street Baptist Church was a center of not only spirituality, but of activism. And because of that, the church was a target for hate groups.
0: Carolyn made it outside and began to weave her way through the dozens of people wandering in different directions. Her head turned to see a few deacons running toward a smoking hole in the side of the church. Carolyn's heart sank. It was one of the windows to the basement the basement where the other girls had been. Again, as we've learned, it's safest to remove yourself from the site of an attack until help arrives.
1: But the people of 16th Baptist couldn't count on help arriving. Their police force and their government were outwardly racist. Their police commissioner and their governor saw them as inferior citizens. It was up to the deacons alone to save their congregants.
0: A deacon named Sam Rutledge heard a young girl crying out. The girl's voice came from a bombed out hole where the women's restroom had been. He went in and found her covered in blood and debris.
1: Sarah couldn't see at all. Shattered glass had flown into her eyes, and her face was spattered with blood.
0: Sam gingerly picked Sarah up. It was hard for him to look at the poor girl in this traumatic state, but he
1: held her tight. The hole from the bomb was just big enough for Sam to crawl back out of with Sarah in his arms.
0: Arriving outside, he saw that an ambulance had indeed arrived. It was a small miracle. He pushed past the crowds of people and made his way to the emergency vehicle. Though she was still badly hurt, Sarah had actually been protected from the blast by her location in the bathroom stall. As discussed, any kind of reinforced shelter is ideal in the event of an explosion. However, the other four girls had been out in the open bathroom. They were far more exposed.
1: After the deacon found Sarah in the women's restroom, two other deacons ran in to search through the rubble with their bare hands. Sarah said that she had been in there with her sister and her friends, and so the deacons searched for them among the debris. They dug and dug and dug.
0: Other church members stayed back from the bathroom. They were understandably concerned that perhaps there were additional explosives in the building, set to go off once first responders arrived to deal with the first blast. It wouldn't be beneath the clan to specifically target the girls' bathroom and have more explosives waiting deeper inside.
1: The Reverend began to lead everyone in prayer, asking that God prevent any further violence.
0: As the deacons dug through the rubble, one saw a hand sticking out from the debris. They had found the girls.
1: Carolyn had moved back out front to the church lawn, where there was a scene of mayhem. People were bleeding and crying. There was dust everywhere. Two cars were crushed and nearby windows were blown out.
0: Surprisingly, the police arrived almost immediately. Carolyn didn't understand how they got there so fast, but there they were. They must have come as soon as they heard the blast, Carolyn thought. Her eyes darted around the scene. She wasn't sure where to look.
1: The police barricaded the area surrounding the church, however, screaming crowds reached over the barricade edges, desperately climbing over and pushing their way through. People from the neighborhood barged onto the church property, exhilarated by the fear and anger that had been ignited the moment the bomb exploded.
0: Meanwhile. Carolyn watched carloads of white people drive by and laugh. They shouted, two, four, six, eight, we don't want to integrate. Carolyn shook. She was frightened of such anger and hostility.
1: Carolyn herself had witnessed violence before when she participated in the children's march, but today's events felt different to her. The hoses hurt, but the bomb could have killed her. This was an act that said some would rather see black people dead than free.
0: But that fear was replaced with a new dread as she realized she had yet to see her younger brothers who were at the church when the blast went off. Carolyn's two younger brothers, 13-year-old Wendell and 12-year-old Kirk were her responsibility and she had left them in the basement near where the bomb went off. She couldn't escape the chaos without making sure that they were safe too.
1: Reverend John Cross continued to march through the crowds of injured, scared, and angry people using a megaphone to deliver his sermon. His voice echoed, the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want.
0: Carolyn used this distraction to enter into the wreckage to find her brothers. She called out their names, but she heard no response. She walked deeper into the rubble of the church. Just minutes before, life had been completely different. She was a church secretary. She had a big group of friends her age. And though times were hard, she could count on the church as a place of safety. But not anymore. This was a dangerous world through and through. Carolyn passed by the bombed out hole of the women's bathroom, but she paid it no mind. She knew her brothers weren't likely to be in there, and she assumed her friends had been cleared out by the adults. Now she ventured into the men's restroom. Hopefully, no one would mind given the emergency situation. She creaked open the door and peeked inside, calling out. There was no reply. Her breathing grew heavier as she ventured back to the Sunday school room. She was getting nervous that she might never find her brothers. All around her was the charred remains of the children's furniture and colorful artwork that had once decorated the area. It made her well up with tears to think of how this had once been a carefree, laughter-filled place. It was a Sunday school. It wasn't supposed to know this kind of violence.
1: Carolyn paused once she found herself back in front of the women's restroom, or what was left of it.
0: In truth, it was now just a gaping black hole in the wall. Squinting into the remains of the bathroom, all she saw were piles of stones and other debris. It was too dark for her to see the blood splatters all along the walls.
1: Luckily, there were no signs of her brothers amongst the terrible ruins. But if they weren't there and they weren't outside the church, where could they be?
0: She ran back outside. The church seemed to be completely empty, and all the survivors were being treated on the lawn. Her brothers were not among them. Did that mean that they had been hurt? Or worse, had they been killed by the bomb? It had been her responsibility to look after them, to make sure they were safe. She began to quietly cry, unsure of what to do next.
1: The crowds had gotten rowdier, and reporters gathered around them. They spoke to the church members, eager to get the details on the latest tragedy. Though Birmingham had experienced many bombings in the last few years, word was that this one was the worst. Word was that people had died. Thanks for listening to Survival. We'll be back next week to learn the fate of the members of 16th Street Baptist and to follow the community's recovery.
0: You can find all of ParCast's shows on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review.
0: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time.
1: Survival was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Survival is written by Sarah Hall Corey and stars Irma Blanco and Tim Johnson.